you know what? If you're alive tonight, if you're breathing, if you've got a mouth, if you've got fingers, you've got a story to tell. You have a story to tell. And it's your story. It's not my story. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's a long story. <laughs> yeah. Some, some of us are probably saying, it's a long, long story. <laughs> you ever tried to explain your actions or something, you know, and you've used that phrase, it's a long story? Well, let's cut a long story short. <laughs> it's your story. It's a long story, but it's my story. It's my story. It's no one else's story. And it's mine to tell. It's yours to tell. You have a story. You have a testimony. We use that word in church, don't we? Testimony. Um, it's a story of your life and witnessing to what you've seen, what you've experienced. And, and your story, it involves stuff that didn't have God at the centre. It didn't have Christ as your, as your Lord and your Saviour. You have story. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. In Mark chapter 5, we see a story in the making. If you want to just turn to verse verse 1, and uh, what we'll do is we'll just we'll pretty much go verse by verse through, but we won't be that that rigid because there's 20 verses, so that's a long time. But let's have a look at verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. Let's just stop there. If you remember last week, this is the promise right here, fulfilled. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. He didn't mention the details, like a massive storm that was going to kill people if, you know, a miracle didn't happen. But he made a promise, right? And if Jesus says it, he's not going to lie. He's telling the truth. And so he made a promise. He said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And here, verse 1, they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, your Bible might have a different word. It might have Gadarenes or it could have Gergesenes or something that like that. It starts with G. Anyway, they arrived to the other side of the lake, right? The other side of the lake. It was a purposeful journey. And Jesus got them there. Verse 2, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. What do you think of when you hear that phrase? A man possessed by an evil spirit. Got to be honest with you, when I, when I first saw this, I thought, he's a crazy guy that's got unkept hair. He's got blood coming over him because he's, he's cutting himself. He's crazy, he's screaming, almost like Gollum out of Lord of the Rings. Someone like that, you know? That's what I was thinking. But then, like, as I kept reading that verse over and over again, it just dawned on me. As Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit. He's a man. He matters. He's a human being. He is a man. And he just happens to have an evil spirit controlling him. He's out of control. He's not in control of himself. And we find out with the rest of the story that the poor guy has not just got one evil spirit inside of him. He's got loads, 
of evil spirits inside of him. We don't know the background. We don't know how they got there. We don't know why they're there. We don't know if it's his fault or if it's just something that happened in his life or something someone else did to him. We don't know the full story. We just know that this guy's a man. He's a man and he's, and he's not in control of himself. And Jesus steps foot on the land outside of the boat. Now, remember, Jesus just commanded stillness over a storm. He has authority over the storms, over the unnatural realm, over the natural realm. And he steps out onto the land. This is territorial. This is a territorial fight. And here is the evil spirit using this poor man in this territorial fight. Jesus just steps on the land. Terra firma. And the evil spirit recognizes it straight away. This can't happen. This can't happen. People can't come near me. People can't come near me. I need to be isolated. I need to be in control of this poor man. This is my ground. And so he starts screaming and coming to Jesus, controlling this poor man. And he falls at Jesus' feet. This man comes out of the tombs to fall at Jesus' feet, screaming. This land that Jesus steps out on, by the way, is Gentile land. This is non-Jewish land. All right. This is this is heathen land. This is dirty land. You know, we see later on about pigs being as a herd of pigs, two thousand pigs at least. This is Gentile land. This is this is not this is not Jewish kosher. This is not clean. But isn't it interesting? Don't you think that back in chapter one, verse twenty-five ish. Jesus addresses an evil spirit that possesses a man in the synagogue. And here he he addresses an evil spirit that possesses a man on Gentile territory. It doesn't matter where Jesus goes. He is the Lord. He is the Lord in in the church. He is the Lord in the world. He is the Lord of your street. He is the Lord of your town. It doesn't matter where he sets foot. When Jesus sets foot in a place, he's the Lord. Wherever Jesus is, he's the Lord. Who follows Jesus? Me. Who has the spirit of Jesus in them? Me. I'm not the Lord, but it means that he is with me and he is the Lord. He is over all things. He has power over all things. And Jesus steps out onto the land and this demoniac man, this Gentile demoniac, comes to him. This is not the last time, by the way, that Jesus comes to a graveyard. See, this, this poor man lives in a graveyard. He lives amongst the tombs in the hillside. This is not the last time that Jesus will come to a graveyard and bring deliverance. Jesus gets very comfortable with bringing deliverance where there's death. The widow of Nain carrying her son out, his dead son. Jesus touches the coffin. The, the boy rises back to life. Lazarus, Jesus calls him out of the tomb by name and they unwrap Lazarus and he comes back, he's he's alive. The empty tomb after the cross. Jesus is a grave robber. Death has no hold of him. He has power over death. And this man lived in the burial caves, verse 3, and could no longer be restrained 
even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. His dwelling was with the dead, this poor man. He was uncontainable. He was a chain breaker and a shackle smasher. No chain, no physical chains could hold him. He was stronger than anybody else who tried to hinder him. He was the strongest man in that area. No one could, no one was strong enough to subdue him. He was very powerful. This poor man was possessed by evil spirits. Now, this is this story, this, this kind of demonic possession over a person is extremely rare. Extremely rare. This is, this is, this is uncommon. It happens though. But to this extent, I haven't seen it. But this man had super human power. Supernatural power. He could break chains. He could break shackles off his feet. No one could subdue him. On the outside. But on the inside, he was chained up. He was shackled. He was isolated. He was alone. And his dwelling was amongst the dead. You know, when you have something uncontrollable, you try to hide it when no one wants to go looking. Have you ever had anything uncontrollable? Could have been a, could have been a person. <laughs> could have been a habit. Could have been an addiction. And, and when it's uncontrollable and you can't contain it, what you try and do is you hide it from society or you hide it from the church even. Or you hide it from other people and you, and you isolate it somewhere and you try and subdue it yourself. And these people, they wanted to localise their problem. These people of this area just wanted to localise their problem. And, and this man was isolated. And this man, they tried to bind him up. But this was not a physical problem. This was a spiritual problem. Powerfully spiritual. When you don't understand a person, do you segregate them away from the clean and the comfortable? I think we do. We tend to, we tend to separate what isn't sanitized. We feel uncomfortable when, when someone that doesn't fit our cultural norm enters in. I think church should be a place where anyone could be welcome to come and meet Jesus. Jesus is more than capable enough to set anyone free. And this story, this man's story, is testimony to that. Verse 5 says, Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Does your heart go out to a person like this? He's got nowhere to go. He's wandering among the dead. He's pathetic. He's Gollum-esque. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Could you imagine what he looked like? Screeching, howling, cutting himself, behaving like a wild animal, struggling to feel something in this life. So he grabs stones and cuts his skin. 
struggling to feel something, looking for feeling amongst the tombs in a wicked, endless cycle of depravity. Never be able to itch the scratch that he has. Constantly tormented. Constantly in turmoil. And people cared to avoid the man. People cared to stay away from him. People kept at a distance. People, people cared to restrain him. But nobody cared about him. Verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Isn't it often the case that darkness is the first thing to notice the light? Like in chapter 1, when Jesus was in the synagogue and there was an evil spirit inside a poor man there, as soon as the light enters the synagogue, darkness screams out. A naked, bleeding, tormented man came running and staggering toward Jesus as Jesus sets foot on his, ter his territory. Recognising, though, that Jesus' spiritual authority was much superior to his or theirs, speaking of the demons. And so they bow in terror before Jesus. They know who he is. They know who he is. And in verse 7, with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? It's hard enough. It's hard enough trying to get our loved ones that don't know Jesus, you know, and they're awesome people. They're not demon-possessed and running naked and bleeding in the hills. Not, not all of them, probably. I know some relatives are a bit weird, aren't they? But here's this man, and he's possessed by these evil spirits, and they know exactly who Jesus is. By name, they call him Jesus, Son of the Most High God. That is theologically correct right there. Theological accuracy right there. This is a demon speaking, getting it right about Jesus. James tells us that even the demons know about Jesus. Even the demons have faith in Jesus. But they bow in terror, not in absolute wonder and awe, not in reverence and repentance, they don't turn away from their sin. They're just, they're demons. They're, they're stuck in their evilness. They just, they just don't want Jesus to send them into the abyss, into the distant place, it says in the New, New Living Translation. The abyss, Luke tells us. It's a, it's a place that's set aside as like a holding ground for demons and evil spirits until the day of judgment comes when, when they and the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire eternally gone. And so the demons say, Jesus, no, no, we don't want that day to come yet. We don't want to be sent away. We want to try and pull people away from God. We want to try and destroy people's lives. We want to try and do what we want to do and kill people and turn them away from you. But they have to bow to the authority of Jesus. 
And so they say, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So this is probably the, the main leader demon speaking. It was the head demon speaking to Jesus. Jesus immediately addresses this demon, right, within the person. Jesus said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. You see, sometimes, you know, we look at people's actions and behaviours and and fair enough, we're all responsible for our own actions and behaviours, but can we not just think maybe outside of the box as believers in Jesus with this kind of scenario happening, maybe just maybe that person is not the one causing the situation. Maybe it's a demonic influence, a spiritual enemy that's unseen that's that's causing this this manifestation in their life. Maybe, just maybe, can we be open to that? And Jesus came, and, and, and not with a sword and not with yelling and screaming and not with, not with physical strength, but he came with care and compassion. Regardless of the manifestation of, of this demon in this man, Jesus cares. Jesus cares for the man. This is grace. And he says to the spirit, come out of the man. You evil spirit. Assertiveness in action right there. Jesus, just the previous chapter, spoke to the storm. He spoke to the storm. Be quiet, be still. And it became calm. And here, now there's a storm, not on the outside, affecting everyone, but there's a storm on the inside affecting this one man and it's demonic and it's out of control and this poor man is not in control of himself. And Jesus speaks to that storm inside of that man and says, come out of that man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. I just want to explain something tonight, particularly about this passage, because there's lots of symbolism in this passage. And, and Jesus asks this demon, what is your name? The point is, Jesus can ask this question because he's God. This is not some kind of um, a formula, a pat formula that we can use to cast out demons from other people. Jesus asks this because he's Jesus. You know, some people, some people like to look at this passage and they say, what about Jesus asking what his name is? What about Jesus um, responding to the demon's request what about Jesus? Is he obeying the demons? Or what about what about the pigs? Do they symbolize something? You know, what about the 2,000 pigs and the name Legion? And, and they look at all these sort of details and they miss the point. I call them the whatabouts, the what about people. What about this? What about that? What about that? And they listen to a they listen to a sermon. They listen to a message, and and they're the ones that they won't even listen to what God's trying to tell them in the message. They'll just have a whole lot of questions for you after this after that service, and say, "What about this? What about that? What about that? What about that? I heard this." Da, 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 da. The point is, 
He's a man possessed by an evil spirit. The Son of God enters into the situation, brings a miracle of deliverance and healing and sets this man free. He sets this man free and he knows exactly how to set this man free. Jesus doesn't ask the name of all the other demons in where he casts them out for, of people, but he knows exactly how to set them free. He knows exactly how to raise them from the dead. He doesn't raise them from the dead exactly the same way every time, but he knows exactly how to do it. And the point is, here we have something that is done in this man's life as part of his story that involves the power of Jesus over the demons in his life. The point is the miracle. The point is the miracle for the man. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demon said, send us into those pigs. And the spirits, the spirits begged him, let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man and came, went into the pigs. I could just imagine that. Could you imagine turning up to work one day and you're herding pigs with a few of your mates? you got 2,000 pigs at least already. That's a lot of noise. That's a lot of swine. That's smelly too. It's all happening on the hillside, and then all of a sudden you think it's out of control already? Then all of a sudden these pigs just go crazy and start heading down into the water all together. Like herding pigs would be hard enough. But here they are now in like single file almost, all together going the same direction into the water. That's weird. That's weird. But there's 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of wages. That's someone's livelihood. And I think maybe, just maybe, Jesus is saying to the people of that area, what's more important? Is it the pigs? Or is this man's life more important? Is it saving the animals, saving the wildlife, saving the planet? Or is it about saving people? What's more important? to you. You know, sometimes in our story we, we forget what's important and we can focus on the details and we can focus on other things that can, can get our attention. But the main thing is that Jesus has set you free and he has a story for you to tell to people in your life. We get caught up on the details of how to be a church, how to do a church, or how to be a Christian, or whatever, whatever, whatever. But the point is, Jesus and you being set free, and he's got a story for you to share with other people. It's a long story. It's a long story, but it's your story. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, verse 14, and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I don't know whose clothes he was wearing. Maybe maybe the disciples let him borrow some of their tunics or something or some sandals because he was naked and he was bleeding and, and he, he, had, he would have had scars, old scars from... A long time ago that had healed. And new scars, scars that were bleeding. And this man wasn't silent. This man was 
this was he was screeching. He was running around the whole area, screaming all day, all night. And then all of a sudden, here he is, still. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's not bowing in terror. And he's sitting and he's clothed, fully clothed, and he's fully sane. And I think that's wonderful that Jesus has done that for you and for me. On the cross, Jesus paid for your sin and for my sin. We're fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're, we're in our right minds. We've been given the Holy Spirit, not a spirit of fear and timidity, but a, a spirit of love, of power, and of self-control, self-discipline. We've been, we've been put in a place of honour with Christ. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. We're seated with Christ. We're clothed and we're in our right minds. Well, spiritually anyway. Isn't it wonderful, the story we have to tell? But these people, they weren't excited about the fact this man was delivered. They were afraid. There were no pigs left. They were just floating in the water. A crowd soon gathered and they saw the man and they would have seen the floating pigs. So they run away to the in, into the village and tell their story. And so people respond to their story by coming to see for themselves this man, this man. They saw the man sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. That's great news, isn't it? But they were afraid. I wonder why they were afraid. I'm not really sure exactly why, but did they have demons in them as well? <laughs> Imagine the guy. Imagine the guy there. He's like, wow, all of a sudden I really like clothes. Wow, wow, I have a lot of scars on me, on my body right now. Wow, what, what has happened to me? Where, why are all these people here? I wonder if these thoughts were going through his mind. All of a sudden, Jesus is the most important person in my life right now. I just want to be with him. You know, he once walked among the dead and the mountains and now he desires to walk with the giver of life and the rock of his salvation and the healer. And he's completely, completely transformed and he's sitting at Jesus' feet. And then verse 16 says, And then those who'd seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. They didn't want Jesus there Healing people. That just makes no sense to me. But don't you find that in your life? Some people just don't want anything to do with Jesus in their life. Whether he brings healing or not, they just, they're happy with their pigs. They're happy with their society without Jesus. They're happy with their rituals without God having control in their life through Jesus. They're just happy with the status quo. We're happy with the guy being a demon-possessed man running around. We get used to it. Jesus... Stop making things diff different in our lives. Just leave, please. Just leave. Maybe they were afraid of Jesus because, you know, this man that was possessed by a demon was the strongest man in the area, and all of a sudden Jesus overpowers him. So maybe they're afraid of Jesus because they thought maybe Jesus could overpower them and be worse than this guy. 
I'm no idea. But what I see here is Jesus releases this man from dark darkness and they plead with Jesus to go away. Why? Jesus ends up leaving. He ends up actually leaving. He just, it's like he takes the disciples from the other side of the lake through a terrifying storm that nearly kills them, gets to the other side just to set one person free and then leaves. That's a waste. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of resources. Probably a waste of food. What's the point? Jesus is just after one, just one. Think of the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well. He just met that one woman, but she was the doorway into Samaria, into that whole town. And her story of her encounter with Jesus changed the whole town. And Jesus knew that that storm was worth going through for this one man because Jesus saw value in this one man. And Jesus saw that this man, he had some problems going on in his life. He had a bad story, but he just needed a new author to take hold of the pen of his life and start writing some new chapters, start bringing some hope, start bringing some victories, start bringing some joy and some love and some energy into his life, some freedom. And that's what happened from this day. Jesus gave this man a new lease on life. Not a new story, just a new author. It's the same story. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by the demons, and Jesus loved that, begged to go with him, as you or I would. Jesus, you're my hero. Let me be with you for the rest of my life. Please, let's just let me, just let me follow you, you know. But Jesus said, no, no, don't, don't come with me. He said, go into, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And this man started off and he went to visit the 10 towns, the Decapolis, 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that Jesus has got 12 disciples in the boat with him, right? And they change the world eventually. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and they, they make disciples, they, they're at it, right? We're here because of them. But I wonder if some of us are here because of this man. Because this man never hung out with Jesus for three years. He never went to Bible college. He never went to Kingsley College. He didn't get evangelism training. He just got set free from by Jesus in one moment and Jesus gave him an epic story, an epic ministry into the region just to tell his story. I wonder how many people came to know Jesus in those Gentile towns because of this one man. He was like a doorway into the community. None of Jesus' disciples could minister to those Gentile towns like this man could. And I've met lots of people that um, are great to minister. They can minister to people that play sport because they've, they've played sport or they could minister to people who have alcohol issues because they themselves had alcohol issues that Jesus set them free from. 
or drug issues or divorce or depression or just like this man cutting and and evil spirits maybe i've seen people ministering to homeless people because they were once homeless and and or they still are homeless but jesus has set them free from their sins and they've got a story that they can tell that would make a whole lot more sense to a certain demographic than I could or that others could. You have people in your life that only you can talk to about your story and that Jesus wants to actually use you to go home and tell your story. I think there's a lot of people in our church um, that haven't told their story to their home, to their people at home, to their relatives. You know, we come up to Christmas time soon and maybe, just maybe, we can get together at Christmas with our relatives and, and have a barbie and get around the, the pool or the barbecue or whatever and talk about Christmas and about presents and about holidays. But maybe, just maybe, God wants you to share your story about how you came to know Jesus and how he set you free from something or how he forgave you of something or, you know, how he's answered your prayer. You know, there's a story in you. This guy never had any evangelism training or Bible college. This man had a story to tell. He had an experience, an encounter with Jesus. We, we, we tend to judge a person by their actions. But can I encourage you, before you do that, tell yourself it's a long story. This person might be behaving because they're in the middle of a story that just looks chaotic when you enter it. But they have a story. They have a story that needs a new author. You have a new author in your life, the Lord Jesus. But let's look at people this week and let's look at people for the rest of our lives that way. Yeah, they might be manifesting weird kind of behaviour or aggressiveness. Or they might be trying to isolate themselves from society or maybe they're mean and they're angry at you. Ask yourself, what's their story? I'm just entering into this little bit of their story. It's a long story, but it's their story. What is your story, church? What's your story? What has God been narrating in your life what's he been telling you about in his in your life it's your story to share if you have a mouth or fingers you can type share your story you can share your story on facebook you can share your story on email you can you can share your story on a live stream on facebook you can share your story face to face you can write a letter and share your story to a loved one but it's your story to tell it's not mine. It's not Jesus' story to tell. It's yours. And you can do it well with his help. I just want to pray a blessing over you before we sing our last song, which I think is a fun song to sing. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray, Father God, your blessing over each one that are watching this broadcast, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the assurance and the assertiveness and the willingness and the joy to share our story, to share our stories with our home, with those from our home, from those from our neighbourhood, those that we've grown up with that have, that have seen our story without Christ and have seen the story with Christ. 
And Lord, we just thank you so much that you're not finished writing our story. There's a long way to go yet. But Lord, we pray that the rest of our story, as you write it in our lives, as we walk in step with your Holy Spirit, that it would not be us that gets the glory, but it's you who gets all the glory. And Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that one day we will be with you forever and ever in heaven. Lord, help us to see our loved ones and our friends there too, simply because we've been brave enough to share our story with them. Lord, bless each one, Lord God. Bless us, Lord, to be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.